what's really interesting is that we all have this weird relationship with time, don't we? Some of us can be very present with time. Like it is no problem for us to be in the moment with someone, right? Some of us capitalize on every moment, every waking moment. If you've met my father-in-law, if there is a moment that is not used, or if someone's running late, he is going to rewire the house, he is going to pay something, he's going to pay something. Like, utilizing the most amount of time is his utmost importance. But what we really see is that as you get older, Time moves faster. Have you noticed that? As you get older, time moves faster. Like when I was young, it felt like Christmas was forever, didn't it? Like you were like, man, the Christmas tree has been up forever. We have gone out every day looking for Christmas lights. The presents are never going to come. And then you get old and you're like, how is it already Christmas? I, I, it's, I hit 40 and it's like, how is it already Christmas? But what we see is that it sneaks up on us. Now, this is a natural phenomenon that is happening to you. You are not strange. This is psychologically <laughs> proven, okay? Now, what they're trying to do is they're figuring out why this happens. So psychologists have some theories on why this happens. There's a couple thoughts. One, when you were younger, when you were five, you were experiencing things and it was like 20% of your life, right? So every moment seemed like this big deal to you, okay? Number two, it might be that as you get older, you have fewer mental images. You, you lose your imagination. My, my niece loves to play Barbies. She always asks to play dolls. I have no imagination whatsoever anymore. I can give her 30 seconds, then I'm like, I'm out, I ran out of things for this Barbie to say. You know what I'm saying? But we don't have as many mental images as much. Uh, number three, some psychologists think it's just you stop having fun. When you get older, everything gets serious, and you stop having fun. And so as you have less fun, time seems to speed up. It seems to go faster. So we don't experience things like we used to, okay? Whatever the case, you are heading in, and I'm heading in, to the busy season. The holiday season is a very taxing time for most of us, all right? And one thing that I've heard over and over again, we just finished our, our book on Ruth, and I've heard over and over again that this is a tough season for many of us. And do you feel that? There's a lot of social dynamics going on. There's a lot of busyness. There's a lot of scheduling problems. Everything moves very quickly. And so as we see in modern evangelicalism, we load you up with events and you never really experience things. Have you felt that? Like you can be busy and you can go through the holiday season. And oftentimes I go through the holiday season feeling completely like I missed it. And I feel worn out. And I feel exhausted. And it's like, I know that I did a lot of things, but I don't know what I did. you ever feel that? So I want to make sure that we're all on the same page. So I thought, let's pause. We just finished the sermon series. Let's pick one up in January. But let's talk about this. And what I want to talk about is finding purpose this Christmas, all right? Finding purpose this Christmas. And each week until Christmas, we're going to be talking about how we live purposeful, not passive, all right? One of the things that's happening to us is that we are getting more and more passive as a society. And the Lord's saying, I need purpose, not passivity, okay? And so the Christmas season is a time where we get to live on purpose. 
Because we have to fight for purpose. We have to fight for it. It doesn't, we can't just let life happen to us. Many of us are letting life happen to us and we're saying, why do I not have purpose in my life? That is not how the Lord's ordained things to be, okay? So let's talk about time. I can't think of a better place to start than time. Each week we're going to talk about one aspect of your life and today we're talking about time. In 1934, there was a book, it was called Techniques and Civilization, and in this book, they talk about the Industrial Revolution, okay? And in the Industrial Revolution, it was a time of just straight-up invention happening, all right? And it, it, it changed all, uh, whole societies, it changed economies, and everything for the 18th, 19th century changed because of the Industrial Revolution, right? You probably learned about that in school. And many believe that the steam engine was the most important invention. That the steam engine changed more things in our society than ever before. But this book makes the case that that's not, that's not what actually happened. The most important invention was actually the clock. The invention of the clock changed everything. It made us obsessed with time. It made us aware of time. And so it changed in, way, in the way that we think about our lives and we think about time in general. And we as humans have now become obsessed with time, okay? And so some of us are habitually late people, right? Raise your hand if you're habitually late. I know who you are. All right. Yeah. Let's see it. More hands that should have been raised than I saw. Some of us are habitually late, so you're like, I get it. The invention of the clock was the worst thing in the world. Let's just be present. Let's just get there when we get there, right? Let's just make it happen when we get there. Some of us are habitually early. Raise your hand if you're habitually early. Man, if you are five minutes early, you are on time. Amen? More hands raised up than should have, right? But what we see is that some of us are like, we, uh, we are upset at the time. Now, when I was uh, in high school, well, like junior high, high school, I was diagnosed with uh, mild ADHD. I make the claim to this day, I've said this from stage, if you took the test that I took, everyone would have ADHD. I sat in a dark room and turned off all the lights, and for an hour, whenever the X popped up on a computer screen, I hit a space bar. That's how they used to test you for ADHD. So I, was, I have it, though. I, I, my brain works in a variety of different ways. But what it made me is obsessed with productivity, because on my other side, I have ADHD, but I also have Achiever, right? And so I had to set up systems and processes in my life to succeed, all right? Many of us are obsessed with productivity as well. But it's interesting because we are living in a society where we try to capitalize on every moment. Now what's interesting is that the ancient Greeks actually thought about time differently. And what we see is that the ancient Greeks, Greek, Greeks had two words for time. One word they used was chronos, all right? It was chronos, and the word is used to describe a measurable duration, or talk about a period of time, or a moment of time, but all of this, when they use this word, they use it in a term of everything is linear, okay? So the chronos of our lives, or that it's, it's linear, it's a linear way of thinking about time. The other word is this word called kairos, all right? And kairos is this concept that's 
talked about that means an anointed time, all right? It means an opportunity. When it's used in scriptures, and both this word is used in scriptures, it's talking about when uh, the coming of Christ, or it's talking about the coming of the kingdom. And to break this down a little bit further, one way to think of chronos is, is that it's flat, okay? It, it's one dimensional, dimensional or two dimensional. It's talking about time and space of what you're experiencing. It's this flat way of looking at your time. You're in time and, faith, in, in space. Now, kairos is another way to think about it, and this has multi-dimensional. It is time and space, but it adds this important thing called meaning to it. So Kairos is this, this opportunity or this uh, anointed time of where you're in time and you're in space, but you also have meaning within it. Kairos is qualitative in nature. For me, my wedding vows with Meg, my wedding day, was a Kairos moment, right? We know that. Uh, seeing uh, my sons, Jeremiah and Abe, even though I almost passed out on both of them, was a Kairos moment for me, okay? Watching the Seahawks win the Super Bowl was a Kairos moment for me, right? This is a Kairos moment. When we threw the ball instead of running the ball on the one against the Patriot, that was a Kronos moment. That was a Kronos moment for us. We move past it. We, we don't think about it. The qualitative, the qualitative, the Super Bowl win is a Kairos moment. But when you think about this, it, they can be smaller ones too. It, it's a walk with a friend. It's deep prayer time. It's, it's being in nature, whatever it is. But our modern, our modern minds think in Kronos and linear. And flat, we think about how do we capitalize on every given mo moment? How do we move things forward? And I might be preaching to myself, but I feel like I'm preaching to somebody else as well. And so what we see is that we get obsessed with utilizing time. Our chronos mind will almost always get in the way of the kairos moments, right? But as I was thinking about these two things, I was struck by the thought that in the Christmas story, the Kairos and the Kronos are working together. We see both of them happening. And when we, my challenge for you is that to have a purposeful Christmas, we have to go past the Kronos way of thinking and everything's going to push us to that. And we have to, uh, we have to get to the Kairos, but what we know is that the Kronos will always be pulling us, all right? Let's look, at, let's look at a couple stories. Joseph and Mary experienced Kairos moments in, in Luke 1, 26-33. In the six months of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled in, at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son. And you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. This is a, a definition of a Kairos moment. She is having an encounter with an angel who is sharing this mind-blowing news. And she's left with a buzz, alright? She's having an experience, obviously. But after the experience, what's interesting is she has to live in the Kronos time while in the God-ordained at the same time, right? She still has to be pregnant. 
She still has to experience all that women do of giving birth. She still has to carry the baby for nine months. But what's amazing about God-ordained time is that we often think of these times where we experience the Lord and we think we're going to be on this mountaintop. We think that we're going to always be on this high. We're living out our purposes. And, and so we experience these moments with God, but then we go back into the, the chronos, right? We see that even in the birth of Jesus, right? She's experiencing both sides of this experience of time. And she's carrying the Savior of the world, but she's also carrying a baby inside her. She's also feeling all the pains. She's also feeling all the aches. She's, uh, can you even imagine riding or walking from, Beth, from Nazareth to Bethlehem, 90 miles? But Cairo's way of thinking helps her chronos time, yes. right? This Kairos way of thinking, this experience that she had, she has to go back into the linear. She has to do the things, but it's these moments that the Lord speaks, and we want to always be on the high, but we're also experiencing time in this linear way. Amen. Good. Experiencing this experience of hearing from the Lord gives her meaning even in the Kronos time. Then we look at Joseph, Matthew 1, 18 through 19. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Sometimes, Time comes and slaps you upside the head, right? This is what's happening to Joseph. This is one of those moments, and many of us have had these moments recently or in the past where time just comes and out of nowhere slaps you in the face. What is happening here, right? This is crazy stuff that's happening. If you don't, Joseph doesn't know the whole story. What he knows is that she's pregnant. And it's devastating news for him, all right? Mary and Joseph are in an arranged marriage. And during this time, they are considered husband and wife. But for a year, they don't live together. Mary lives with her parents and Joseph lives with his parents. And why do they do this? Because they want this waiting period to be a time where they show the faithfulness of the bride for this time, okay? That's how they used to do it. So there, this time where the bride has to remain faithful. She got pregnant during this time. Obviously, she was not pure, right? And so it was this waiting period. She would have, she would have been unfaithful as in a sexual relationship, and therefore the marriage could be annulled. So in the Chronos time, in this flat way of thinking, it, Joseph has figured, just figured out this news, and he's like, "What do I do with this?" Little is said about Joseph, but you see from his actions, he clearly loved Mary. He, he could have set her out for public disgrace and said, I'm clearing my name because I'm going to show who she really is. But instead he says, I'm going to follow this thing and I'm going to quietly yes. divorce her. He generally loved Mary. But instead, God ordained time steps in. Matthew 1, 20-25, But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is, she, what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. 
All this took place to fulfill what the Lord has said to the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Amen. Amen. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home to be his wife, but he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Now it's interesting. Because uh, the thing about Cairo's time for Joseph and for all of us, he still is left with a choice, right? He still has to obey. It says he does all the things that were commanded to him. He still had a choice within this to follow the things that we are called to. When you are called to something, it will still, in the chronos, take time, take courage and compassion okay. and character, right? Okay. And so Joseph still has the choice to obey in his earthly time, right? Yeah. He has this Kairos moment, but he still has to obey. Even after a God-ordained moment, you have to obey. Amen. Good. And we see Joseph just does that. And we see in these stories how this Kairos and this Kronos work together in life. We also see it with the wise men. Matthew 2, 1-2, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We see his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Now when you hear the term Magi, you probably think magician, right? You think illusionist, right? You think these like these guys that are, and that's how it was kind of portrayed on one end. It was also portrayed as kings. That's not what's going on here, okay? You probably think of this, but you can you see that Matthew is using the word as a more general sense. It's it's wise court advisors. These are the wise men of of probably Persia. There's a couple thoughts where it comes, but it's whose job was to study ancient and sacred texts. And to watch for movements of the planets and the stars that might have divine messages. So now, in their time, they would have had contact with uh, large Jewish communities, okay? So they would have had relationship with Jewish teachers. And they would have had knowledge of the Hebrew scriptures. And they would have known Jewish understanding of prophecy and fulfillment. And so they knew that the Jewish community were waiting for the Messiah, we're waiting for a king, and so they witnessed this star, and they would have had their mind, uh, had in mind the prophecies of the birth of a Jewish Messiah, and they were actively seeking. They were actively seeking. For Mary and Joseph, we see a Kairos moment happens to them. They heard directly from the Lord. Their lives were rocked because of hearing from the Lord. But here we see the Magi are seeking Kairos. They're, they're seeking for the truth. They're seeking for where God might move. Now, they weren't seeking the one true God. That's not how they were. They were looking at all the different gods and all the different things. But they see this moment in this ancient sacred text, and they see a moment where God is moving. So they see this star, but they also see the knowledge of the text, and they ex excited enough to mount an expedition to Jerusalem in hopes of finding a child that they thought would fulfill it. Their Kairos searching turns into Kronos because now they have to travel a great length through dangerous country, a grueling trip, and their desires to see a new king. Now there's a third place that I want to talk about time when you look in the, in this, in the scriptures when it, it, when it talks about Jesus and the birth of Jesus in particular. John 1, 1 through 3. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word 
was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him, all things were made. Without Him, nothing, that, nothing was made that had been made. It's interesting. All four Gospels begin by placing Jesus into historical settings, okay? So we see that. We see uh, John actually opens it a unique way, but in the book of Matthew, it begins with the genealogy of Jesus, right? And the genealogy is saying, hey, I'm going to show you how oh, Jesus no. goes to David, and he goes all the way to Abraham. So it's this long genealogy of who Jesus is. We see, uh, we see Mark starts with the preaching of John the Baptist. He's going to jump right into this is the historical significance of Jesus. Luke starts with the prediction of John the Baptist to his mother Elizabeth, right? So we see that's where Luke starts. But John starts with what? John starts with time. It's almost as if John has said, I want you to know Jesus. I want you to know his teaching. I want you to know his deeds. I want you to know his miracles. But you will not fully understand the good news of Jesus unless you view him from the point of view that Jesus is God. He's manifest in the, in the flesh and he's beyond time. These are the three things. This is what sets him in the historical context for John. He's saying, Jesus even before time. You can't even get your head around this, right? And so all the other ones put them in historical significance, and this is historical significance called before time. I mean, this is as historical significance as it gets, right? And John moves outside the normal time and space of the story itself, and he starts with before the world began. He starts with a place where God dwells with the word and with the light, and he zooms out as far as you can zoom out, farther than our minds generally can go. And John establishes that Jesus is God. He's before time. And all of time is pointing to Jesus. Wow. Good. Some scholars believe that there are 300 prophecies in the Hebrew scriptures that point to Jesus. There's a, lot, there's a lot more. If you ever want to talk about it, we have an expert in the saying, my buddy Rabbi Brent, he will, he will mind bend you on, on all this stuff. But let's look at just one of them, Micah 5.2. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient Times Micah just lays it out. He will be born in an insignificant small town, the same town as David, as and he will be God. He will be one with him, and he will minister on God's behalf, and he will be Israel's ruler. But what does it say? The same thing as John one one. The ruler's origins are from the old ancient times. The King James version renders ancient times as everlasting. Forever. Forever is who this king is. Some translations say this, days of immeasurable time. You can't even measure it. There's no chronos way of thinking about it, right? It, it's mind-bending when you think about it. And over and over again, this truth about who Jesus is, is repeated in the scriptures. Amen. Until the end of scriptures. Let's look at this, Revelation 1-8. through I am the Alpha and the Omega, said the Lord God, who is 
and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. The salutation of the book of Revelation closes as a reminder that Christ is in relationship with time, and that relationship is there's no beginning and there's no end. Amen. Think about that. Awesome. We think in Kronos. We're trying to get to Kairos. God's like, I'm taking it even further than that. And I'm showing you Alpha and Omega, the beginning of the end, before there was even time. Jesus was there. Everything was made through him. Everything was made yes. for him. You were made for Jesus. Yes. The one who, before the earth, the foundations of the earth were laid. Jesus, the Alpha, the Omega. Jesus is the beginning and the end and everything in between. He's further described as the one who is and who was and who is to come. And shows that the Almighty Team, the Almighty One. A major revelation in the entire book shows up at this. All of time is His. If you, wanna, if you really want to say, what's going on in Revelation? He's summing up this. All of time is His. So with all this. I want to unload a little bit on you, but what do we do with this? What's a framework that we should be living by, okay? Because I'm, and this is going to be one of those practical sermon series where it's like, okay, let's take something from this and let's, let's, let's put it into our Christmas season, okay? Can we all agree with that? Yeah. And I'm really worried because one of the things that's a challenge is that I get up here and talk and, and then it's just like, you feel good? Maybe. Maybe you're like, that was trash, but you know, you feel good. You walk out. You think, okay, but what are we doing with this? And so I want to give frameworks with each talk, and we're going to talk about how we, how we do frameworks. But during this season, time is your most valuable commodity. Yes. Many of you are struggling to figure out how to get gifts. Some of you are fo focusing on what maybe you want gifts. But I'm telling you, the most important commodity that you have is time. If you ever want to think differently, young people here in the front row in particular, Get into relationship with somebody who is at the end of their life and they will tell you time is your most important commodity. Quit chasing anything but meaning within time. That's good. I want to challenge you early on in the season. Move from the Kronos mindset that so easily gets us. The to-do list. The scheduling. The making sure that I'm having fun at every given moment. That's my whole thing. But what do you move past the Kronos into the Kairos? Start thinking about the deepest, truest form of time. Understanding that is the first step, that you are living a flat, linear line if you don't add meaning to it. And the Lord wants to add meaning to everything that we do. What in here? Many of us play the victim with our time. I want to be very clear on this. I was meeting with my mentor one time, and uh, I was complaining about everything under the sun. Not you guys, but I was complaining about <laughs> the other things in my life. Careful, I know. And he said to me, he said, man, you play victim with your time. You have way more control about your, of your time than you think you do. I still, to this day, ask my wife, play victim with my time. We think things are just happening to us. We want to live purposefully, but we live so passively. Purpose and passivity cannot coexist. 
And so we play victim with our time. I'm too busy. I, I got too many demands. I have too many uh, things that I need to say yes or no to. Yeah, if we, if I ask you to think a journal of your time, so maybe this is what I want to do. I'll check all your work. But think a journal of all your time, every moment that you spend, and bring it to me. I think some of us would be embarrassed. I, myself included. I think I'd be embarrassed if I journaled every moment. You know, they say if you want to see a person's priorities, look at their bank accounts. I think really if you want to see a person's priority, look at their Google Calendar. Because I think so many of us play the victim with what is happening to us rather than saying, no, I am going to fight for Kairos. I am going to fight for time. I'm going to fight for space. I'm going to fight for meaning. But most of our calendars don't have meaning written in there. I'm going to find some meaning right here. One of my favorite uh, favorite things that uh, I, I brag on our elders quite a bit. Well, one of my favorite things that uh, one of our elders does, John, is that he has a he has a stressful job that makes my job look like nothing, peanuts. He has a high stressful job, and he gets bad news a lot more often than I want to. And he looks the he he knows that he's probably smart enough that in the chronos he can figure it out. But what he does is he walks behind the yard and he gets behind some things that people can't see. And he gets on his knees and he says, Kairos, I need a Kairos moment. Because I know in the Kronos that stuff's coming at me. But I need time and space and meaning to slow everything down. I'm not a victim of this moment. Rather, I'm an overcomer of this moment through Jesus Christ. We're not victims of our time. Instead, we are overcomers of our times, but it's going to take time and space and meaning. How do we do this? Number one, seek the Lord. Number one, seek the Lord. Seek the Lord. Seek the Lord. The wise men were foreigners. They weren't seeking the one true God at the time, but we see this, that they were seeking the ancient text and trying to figure out what was happening in the cosmos. Get into the Word this Christmas. And don't get into the Word like, I'm going to read five chapters and I'm going to read the entire New Testament. Maybe God's calling you to read the entire New Testament. That, that's fine. But I want you to, when you seek the Lord, is to read one chapter in a book. My, my father-in-law does this. One chapter. He could read a lot more, but one chapter. And ask the Lord, what do you want me to do with this? Seeking, wrestling with the Word, figuring this out. Not just going and trying to get some goal or whatever, but spending time seeking the Lord. I'm going to seek the Lord within this. What does the Lord want to say? Number two, spend time hearing from the Lord. Mary and Joseph did have epic Kairos moments, okay? I would love if an angel came down and spoke to me, right? It's true. But do you really believe that the Lord still wants to speak to you? Yes. That the Lord really has something for you even in this time. I think many of us have lost hope. And when I say they've lost hope, I think it's because you've lost practice. The Lord wants to speak to you. Sometimes you'll be in prayer for an hour and the Lord won't say anything. That's okay. But every day we get into prayer and we say, Lord, what do you have for me? Lord, what do I need to know? What are the, the next steps? Because when you're spending time in 
listening prayer, we're open to what the Lord has for us. Now here's my challenge to you. In the listening prayer, I would challenge you to do this. Place your calendar in front of you. Write down tonight, and I feel like I'm adding more work to you and me, Meg, sorry, but write down the things that are coming your way this Christmas season, and lay them at, 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 in front of you as you pray. And I want you to ask this, what do you want me not to do, Lord? What's on this that I'm just big, busy with, with chronos happening right now? And then the same is true, what do you want me to do? Where do you want me to add meaning? Who, who do you want me to talk to? Who do you want me to invite in in some capacity? What are you trying to do in this moment that I cannot see when I'm just in the Kronos? I'm going to the Kairos where I'm saying, I want time, space, and meaning, so Lord, speak to me. I want to hear your servant is waiting. I'm telling you, if you can get into this practice during Christmas when everything's really busy, you can do it the rest of the year, okay? But many of us don't do that. And so we say, I want purpose, I want meaning, I want the Lord to use me. But we're just sitting there, busy as ever, never asking the Lord, is there anything you want to tell me or direct me or do? Because He's saying, I'm ordaining the moments, not you ordaining the moments. Number three, then we get a weight on the Lord. This is the hardest part for me. As we saw in John 1.1, 1, 1, God's time is not our time. He's the beginning of time and He's the end of time. And He's moving and He's moving at His pace. And many of us have dealt with such heartache this year. Many of us have dealt with so many highs this year, whatever it is. But each of us, no matter what season you're in, it's to seek the Lord, it's to hear from the Lord, and it's to wait on the Lord. To understand that all time is His time. It's the hardest thing to get to. To, to say, all of time is your time, but you were there from the ancient of days, from the beginning of the foundation of the world. It's all your time, so I will wait. Trust Him in His timing. Because this Christmas season, we find ourselves waiting again, right? We're in the in-between. All of us are in the in-between. Jesus came and died for each of us for our sins, and He's coming back. Yes. And we are just in the middle of that. And there's waiting pains that happen on that, but we are called to wait. There are so many things in our lives that we try to move ourselves, that we have tried to change, but we have to give it to God and wait on the Lord. I believe that we hear from the Lord when we seek and we wait, okay? So if you are not in a season of really hearing from the Lord, seek Him. Seek Him more than you ever have before. Wait on Him. Spend time just waiting on the Lord. Lord, I'm going to wait on you. I, 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 I'm gonna, I want to hear from you so badly that when you move, I want to make sure that I'm available and ready. If you want Christmas to be purposeful, meaning be ready for the Lord to use you how He wants to use you. That's the definition of purposeful. One of the things I'm afraid of in this sermon is that you guys can go out and you can say, I'm just going to go take that hill, right? All of us capitalizer of time, right? I'm going to just push forward. I want this to be so meaningful. I want this to be so purposeful. I'm just going to take the hill. But instead, the Lord's saying, no, 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 no. There might be two or three things that I want you to do that are going to add so much meaning to your life 
and so much meaning to another person, but you have to hear from me first. Don't just go try to make it purposeful yourself. Say, Lord, I want you to make this purposeful. So I'm not going to ask you guys to stand yet, but worship band, you can start coming up. I'm going to lead us through a, a little exercise today, okay? So let's go ahead and bow our heads. I remember uh, I was meeting with somebody who was struggling one time with finances. And uh, we got talking, and he said, I just need to talk about it, blah, 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 blah. We talked about it. And he was blown away because I said, okay, we're going to pray, and you're going to repent. He said, why? He said, because you're living outside of God's ordained uh, means that he gave you. Many of us are living outside of God's ordained in our time. So I'm just going to pray and just ask you guys to spend a little bit of time just in your heart. No, don't say that loud. Anytime that you need to just confess, anytime that you've taken your time and said, this is mine, or maybe it's you've taken the time and you're, um, you haven't asked for the Lord's uh, direction within it. Whatever the Lord leads, Holy Spirit, come, will you reveal in us areas that we have to make time our own thing? Lord, will you guide me in this decision? Is there something else that you have for me in this decision? Is there a, a thing that I can't see in this decision? I think many of us are there. I truly believe some, many of us, it's that we play the victim in our time. We think things are just happening to us and there's nothing we can do about it. I think for some of us, it might be one or two people in here that don't believe that they can hear from the Lord anymore and that the Lord doesn't speak to them still. Then when asking it is a simple prayer, just repent. Repent means finding something that's not what God wants and turning 180 from it. I say this over and over again. We can think of repentance as knocking you upside your head, but that's not what you're doing. You're saying, Lord, I, I'm in the wrong here. I'm turning 180 degrees, and I'm setting on the direction that you want. So, Lord, each person, just say, I repent of ways that I've taken time and made it my own. I repent of not slowing down and seeking you, hearing from you, waiting on you, for taking an area of my life and doing what I desire, not what you desire, Lord. We repent of these things, Lord. And now receive his forgiveness. Lord, we thank you that you forgive. You forgive us for everywhere that we fall short. receive your mercy and your grace. 
goodness and your mercy on our time, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Then we're going to spend some time just rebuking any lies that the enemy has for you within us. Lord, we rebuke the lie that we're too busy to seek you. We rebuke the lie that you don't want to speak to us. We rebuke the lie that we aren't good enough for you to speak to us. We rebuke the lie that you are a vi that we are victims of time and that there's too much going on, Lord Jesus, that we're not worthy of you, Lord. And we pray, Lord, that we would replace them with your truth, that you love us so much, that you want to be in deep relationship with us, that you want to guide us along the way. We thank you, Lord Jesus. We give you our time over these next 30 days leading to Christmas. Lord, we, we give you our time. Would you, would you do something that we didn't even think was possible with our time, Lord Jesus?